Good evening. Great to see so many out tonight. Good to have you here. I'm continuing on with my series on life after death. Tonight we look at the believer's reward. I was going to do this in one night, but this got to be so long that I realized I was going to have to talk so fast that I split it into two parts. And so uh, we'll have part A and part B. Tonight is part A. The only difficulty in doing that is most of my application is in part B. So uh, not a lot of application tonight. We will make some. But uh, this is the background as we think about the believer's reward. Key verse is Revelation twenty-two twelve. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. So we begin by looking at the time of the reward. The time of the reward is future, at the Lord's return. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. It's important to keep in mind that the believer's primary reward is yet future. There are certainly rewards, if you will, in serving Christ in this life. Uh, It's great to see what God does in the lives of people, but sometimes that can also be discouraging, that uh, we don't see what we'd like to see accomplished in the lives of of people. Maybe you're a Sunday school teacher, and you have a, a difficulty in keeping your class's attention, and you wonder if anybody is really getting anything out of it. It can be discouraging at times. But we need to keep in mind that primarily the believer's reward is future and not in this life. It certainly helps in times of persecution and hardship and difficulty uh, when uh, it really takes a, a measure of discipline to be about doing what God would have us to do. We may not see an immediate reward. There may not be some financial windfall that comes as a result. There not, may not be a, a host of people standing in line to pat you on the back and expressing appreciation for what you have done. Uh, We need to realize that the reward is primarily future. The basis of the reward, the reward is based upon individual merit. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So these are individual rewards. These aren't group rewards. These aren't rewards that we get as a church, or even a reward that you get as a family, or even a reward that you get as a couple. These are individual rewards of which our own life, personal life, is being evaluated. Secondly, the reward is based upon service for the Lord. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own according to his own labor. 
So it is indeed service for the Lord that is going to be rewarded. I'll say more about that in just a moment. The reason we are worthy of any reward at all is because we are viewed as sharing in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We either aid or hinder the working of God. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, for we are God's fellow workers. We are God's fellow workers. That's a really elevated thought, to think that we are God's elevated workers. Many times, God's people are referred to as instruments, and God uses us. And there is a great deal of truth in that uh, thought that we are instruments. But unlike an instrument, uh, in the truest sense of that word, we think of, we're going to see in a a moment, there is an imagery of building, there's an imagery of uh, farming. And so we are more than a a, a shovel or a uh, hoe, and we're more than just a trowel or a level. We are more than just something that God uses, but uh, we have a will. We actually participate in the work of God. We present ourselves as willing and able. And we uh, are consciously, with initiative, seeking to accomplish his work, do his will. And thus we are co-laborers with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's often said that God doesn't need us. That's true. He doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. And in that sense, then we become necessary. Become necessary. I was just talking to someone just a little while ago, and uh, they were very concerned about the lost. And what about um, the fact that that there are many people who haven't heard? And uh, what is God doing about that, if you will? And uh, my response was, well, God is calling us to go to those individuals who have never heard. Uh, The Great Commission, go you to all the world and preach the gospel. God, in his great sovereignty, has chosen to use us as human beings to do his work. He could write the gospel in the sky if he chose to do so, but he doesn't choose to do that. He chooses to use you and me. And in using you and me, then our work becomes valuable. And uh, even so as to get a reward. We are working God's field, as it were, not our own field, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, uh, and then, of course, you are God's building. So we need to remember that we are, yes, co-laborers with the Lord, but we are simply stewards. We're working alongside, but we're working in his field, not ours. It doesn't belong to us. And so there's that sense of accountability before God in all that we do. D, the reward is based upon one's own responsibilities. 1 Corinthians 3.10. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. Back to uh, page 1, Roman numeral 3a, 1 Corinthians 3.8. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Uh, 
There is no difference between the one who plants and the one who waters. It's all necessary. Uh, So there are two metaphors that are constantly being interwoven in this passage. The one is of a field and working in the field. And so one plants in the field, another comes along and waters. And then, of course, we know that it's God who gives the increase. It's God who gives the success. So we look at the criteria. uh, That's getting into next week. But we are evaluated not on our success. We are evaluated on our faithfulness. On uh, simply the fact that we're out there watering every day or we're out there planting every day. It's God who brings about the success. But we are evaluated according to our own labor. Uh, Each is important. One needs to water. uh, One needs to sow. But we are evaluated by, if you're a sower, you're sowing. If you are uh, a water on your watering. Whatever your gift is, and whatever your position is in the body of Christ, that's what you're evaluated on. Uh, this is not that you are compared to me and I'm compared to you and your ministry is, is uh, compared to my ministry. So often, uh, as human beings, we like to compare ourselves to other people. We like to compare even ministries to other ministries. And uh, we get our sense of worth or value if we think we are better than or uh, others. And uh, there's none of that in the Word of God. It's not a comparison uh, of uh, ourselves to to one another. It's an individual uh, evaluation of our own personal faithfulness in the giftedness that God has granted to us, of much, who much is given, much is required. It's one of those few areas of life. Um, As a academician, as a student, uh, so often there are rewards. I'm going to talk about that later. But there are awards for meritorious accomplishments in uh, grades, for example. You may get on an honor roll or, or a principal's list or whatever it's called in your school and, and this day. But, you know, there's a lot of unfairness in that. Sometimes uh, it comes really, really easy to one person. And it's a lot of work to another person. Uh, that's not taken into consideration. People are just given a reward. But, you see, faithfulness is what's going to be taken into consideration in this reward. Um, it is going to matter. Uh, how we have handled what God has given us to do. So number four, the consideration of the imagery of a building and building materials, the imagery of a foundation. According to the grace of God, which is given to me, as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. In these verses, the Christian life and ministry are going to be pictured as a building, The works of that life and ministry are going to be represented by various kinds of building materials. The foundation upon which the Christian life and ministry are to be built is that of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the chief cornerstone. Uh, Everything has to be built upon him. If one seeks to establish a life on any other basis than the Lord Jesus Christ, then his life will be lost. The only way one can possibly have any reward at all is to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. One must build upon the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
certainly the Word of God tells us without faith it's impossible to please God. Without faith in Jesus Christ, there is no reward. There's just a, a woeful coming short in all of life. Number three, having our life in ministry founded upon the Lord Jesus Christ, we then must be careful as to how we build upon that foundation. Good building materials must be used or the substructure will go, uh, superstructure, excuse me, will go up in flames. This idea is extremely important. All too often, people are concerned only with whether or not a person is a Christian, not with how that person is living their life as a Christian. Uh, Being a Christian is just the beginning. It's not the end. Uh, We don't just sit back on our laurels once we know Christ is our Savior. That's our foundation. Now the question is, what do we do with that foundation? How do we build upon it? B, in like manner, all too often a ministry is evaluated only upon whether or not it preaches the gospel, not whether or not that ministry in its totality is committed and faithful to the whole counsel of God. You see, it just it begins with Christ, but does not end there. So what are we doing with Christ? C, a life or ministry must have Jesus Christ as the foundation, but that is only the beginning of the evaluation process, not the end so we look at the building materials. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, the materials described, the materials used to build the ground floor are gold, silver, precious stones, that is marble, large pieces of granite, wood, hay, and straw. Gold, silver, and precious stones were primarily used in building temples. Wood, hay, and straw were used in the construction of ordinary homes. Wood, doorposts, hay, grass mixed with mud for the walls, and street, uh, three, straw for the roofs. The building materials are divided into two classes, those which are combustible and those which are not combustible. Non-combustible, gold, silver, precious stones, combustible, wood, hay, and straw. The materials demonstrate themselves to be of varying worth, even within the groups. Gold is more valuable than silver. Silver is more valuable than marble or granite. Wood is more valuable than hay, and hay is more valuable than straw. The building materials are arranged in a descending order of the best materials to the worst materials. The best is gold, the worst is, is uh, stubble. The process of the reward. Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. First, we find out that the examination will be total. Examination is total in the sense that every single believer will be evaluated. Every man's work. There is no one who will not be evaluated. Number two, the examination is total in the sense that every work will be thoroughly examined, will become evident. The word evident means to be visible, clear, plain to see. Nothing will be overlooked. It will all be brought to light. And B, the examination will be made public. The day will show it. The day refers to the day of judgment. Show it. The Greek words behind the English word means to show openly and publicly. Matthew 6, 4. That thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which sees in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Openly. Luke 12, 3, Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be 
heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. Everything is going to be laid bare. Everything is going to be revealed. Having said that, I don't think that means our sin. And I'll tell you why as I get to the next page. But I don't think that all of our hidden sins, if you will, are going to be made public, but our hidden good deeds are going to be made public. Those things that people don't know that we have done. It is going to be a a time of celebration and praise. See, the examination will be accurate. The fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. The word test here means to reveal. What is being stressed is not the process, but rather the result. By means of the fire, every work will be shown to be what it really is. The fire is a picture of God's judgment. The absolute righteous judgment of God is in this sense that the scripture refers God to as a a consuming fire. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Our God is a consuming fire. Six, the reception of the rewards. Only the non-combustible works are worthy of reward. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. Every non-combustible work is worthy of a reward. The gold works being worthy of a greater reward than silver, silver works deserving of a greater reward than precious stones. But not everyone will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved yet as through fire. The loss that is referred to in this sense is a loss of reward. As an aside, it should be noted that the wood will burn longer than the straw, but the straw wood will ultimately burn up. The thought is that it is possible to spend one's life in doing good things that are of greater profit to mankind, let's say, than to purely waste one's time. But still, that which is profitable for mankind may not have lasting value for the kingdom's sake, and thus no lasting consequence for eternity and not be worthy of reward. In other words, there are things that are just an absolute waste in life. And then there are things that are at least useful, helpful, beneficial to individuals. Uh, I would liken that, I think, is to the straw and the wood, things of, of, of greater value, but they don't have lasting value. They are value in this life, but not in the life to come. And so they are all burned up. But I take those as good deeds. I don't take that as sin. Uh, I take that as good deeds, but good deeds that don't have any lasting value for eternity's sake. And then there are the things of of, um, gold and silver and precious stones, those of ever-increasing value and worth and merit. But as I said, I I don't think our, our sin is publicly proclaimed. I think our good deeds are publicly proclaimed. I don't see here rebuke, I see here reward. And the dealing with sin, at least in this context, 
is passive, not active. What I mean by passive is, I think we are going to be very conscious of the fact that we have not received a reward if we, if we have not. It says that you're going to suffer loss. You're going to suffer loss. Uh, there's going to be a sense that we have of unworthiness. There's going to be a sense of having wasted our lives. Maybe a, a poor example. But I, I talked about grades. And uh, my academic career in high school was not stellar. Uh, I was not a wonderful student by any means. And I say that with not a bit of, of uh, pride or boastfulness. I, I take that as a rebuke. I take that as a shame. Because to be quite honest, academics have come pretty easy to me. And uh, I could float along pretty well. I was on academic honor rolls in high school about 50% of the time. Half the time I made it, half the time I didn't. Usually when I didn't make it, it was because I didn't hand in my homework, I didn't do my work, I always tested well, but uh, I was a lazy student, to be quite frank. I was a lazy student. And uh, I remember quite vividly uh, in my junior year there was a, an, uh, an assembly in which people were inducted into the National Honor Society. They still do that? They still have that? National Honor Society? Okay. And so I'm sitting there, and uh, to be honest, I could have been on that with just a little bit of effort. But I didn't put forth that little bit of effort, and... They started calling off the names of the people on the honor roll, and I actually thought I was going to make it because I was on about half the time. And then I found out I didn't make it. And for the first time, I really came to grips with, you're a lazy bum. For the first time, I I really felt guilty about the fact that, you know, I've just been coasting. Now, nobody stood up, and after they had read all the people that got an award from National Honor Society, nobody stood up and said, oh, and by the way, Calvin Reed is a lazy bum. Okay? It wasn't pointed out. My failure wasn't announced. But inwardly, I was very much aware that I had not received a reward. I think it's in that sense that that the uh, passivity is not to be ignored. Uh, I I think we are going to come with a great sense of how could I have wasted my time in this life when we are hearing what people have done and how they have been used of God. C, no one will be denied eternal life as a result of not having received a reward. 1 Corinthians 3.15, if any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. However, that is all that can be said for this person. 1 Corinthians 3.15, if any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. 
That phrase means that all that is left after works are passed through the, the flames is this person's salvation. He has nothing to show for a life lived for Christ. Having said that, it, we must realize that, uh, that it is re- it's talking about the process by which things are, are revealed. We're not supposed to understand here a purgatory or a passing through fire in that sense. It's, it's a metaphor for understanding how fire in the New Testament era was used to uh, purify. It was the way in which dross was separated from gold and and it was made to be, be pure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Simply means that it is going to be revealed by, by fire. There's a, another illustration that uh, I like to give uh, because I think uh, it means something. It means something to me. Maybe uh, you'll be able to get a sense of the angst. Maybe it won't mean anything to you. But uh, the, what we're going to do with these rewards that is really significant, and we will look at that next week as well, is... Uh, what are we going to do with those rewards? We're going to cast them at the feet of Jesus. The rewards are going to come in the form of a crown. We'll talk about that. And then we are going to take these crowns and cast them at Jesus' feet, acknowledging that any goodness that we have done is a result of his grace and his empowerment. We are readily going to acknowledge that any good deed that we have accomplished is really the product of God's grace. But I can't tell you how important it is going to be for us to be able to cast that crown before his feet and to have something with which to thank him. Some tangible, measurable gift of an expression of our appreciation for all that he has done for us in saving us, in redeeming us. It's the only way that we're going to have something to give to him. My illustration, and you've heard it before, if you've come for any period of time, but uh, my first year of marriage uh, we were broke, literally. We had, we had nothing. Uh, I was going to seminary at the time, and so we were scrounging to pay uh, bills, and uh, we literally would go through some uh, weeks, we'd go through the, the sofa looking for dimes and quarters and stuff so that I'd have enough money to put gas in the car. We were broke. And we made a deal, and that was we weren't going to give each other anything for Christmas because we couldn't afford it. So Christmas came, and I was happy, and I was, oh, it's nice, it's Christmas. And later in the morning, doesn't my wife walk out with a gift? It's wrapped, got a bow on it, and I opened it up, and it was Spurgeon's devotional Bible. My response I wept. 
She gave me that devotional Bible out of her love. I had nothing to give. Still moves me to this day. Because I, I, I just had this overwhelming conviction of how selfish I was. Couldn't I have come up with something? Couldn't I have made something? Couldn't I have done something? And, and the answer to that is, of course I could. Now, it took a little bit of solace in that we had a deal and she broke it. But not much, not much. Basically, I just felt like a heel because I had nothing to give my dear wife. People, when we stand before God, there's not even a little bit of solace. There will be no excuse when we realize how much he loved us and how much he gave for us, and in turn, how little we have loved him, and how little we sacrifice for him. These rewards are going to be precious because we give them to Jesus. And that should be a huge motivating factor for us in our service for God that we want to present to him lives lived in a worthy manner. Let's pray.